I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Waiting for you in the next hour, it's an author who has unabashedly posted naked pictures of his cats to the internet, and it's a tech company founder who was once banned from Google for a year for hacking their search algorithm. He has this to say. Since searching my name yielded zero results, I had to see a therapist to convince myself I still existed. It's, it's... Alberta Rose Theater in Portland, Oregon. It's Livewire with Sherpify founder Chris Tiso, author Michael Hansen, music from Crystal Bowersox, and me, Luke Burbank, with a remarkably self-indulgent segment called Burbank on Burbank. It's all coming up on Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, filling in for Courtney Hommeister. You've also got comedy coming your way from Faces for Radio Theater and music from our house band led by Mr. Ralph Huntley. All right, one of our guests coming out a little bit later designed a service that lets you buy things via Twitter, uh, which is just another way that social media is becoming for many of us a daily part of our lives. And by daily, I mean hourly. And by hourly, I mean, yes, I bring the phone into the bathroom with me in the middle of the night. (laughs) Don't judge me. It's how I keep people from touching my phone. (laughs) We have so many new ways to stay totally updated on what our friends are eating and listening to and watching and thinking. And yet it often feels like we're somehow farther away from each other than we were before, before we had all these ways to stay in touch. When's the last time you had a long, meaningful phone conversation? These days, even leaving a voicemail, forcing someone to listen to your human voice for 11 and a half seconds is seen as a borderline act of aggression. (laughs) Sure, we text each other, LOL, too funny, nine exclamation points. But does that really draw us closer together as humans? When I was growing up in a family of seven kids, FaceTime alone with our mom was kind of a precious thing. 
And we had this little kitchen table where if you were lucky, you would get to sit with her late at night eating Oreos and talking about nothing and everything. These days when her number shows up on my caller ID, I let it go to voicemail because I'm too busy composing a tweet that I hope is going to make a bunch of strangers think I'm funny. <laughs> For those of you capable of putting your phones down and leaving them there throughout the meal, I salute you. For those of us addicted to all of these likes and retweets and LOLs, we would do well to remember how emotionally nourishing real, actual human communication can be if we just remember to do it. That being said, you can follow us uh, on Twitter at Livewire Radio, and uh, if you need me, I'll be obsessively checking how many people like this monologue on Facebook. Our musical guest was the runner-up on the ninth season of American Idol, which you know you totally watch, so don't try to act like you don't. Throughout her season, she was never in the bottom three, an honor she shares with the likes of Clay Aiken and David Archuleta. After American Idol, she released her first album, Up to the Mountain, on Jive Records in 2010. She performed guest vocals on the Blues Traveler album, Susie Cracks the Whip. Her latest album, All That for This, was produced by Steve Berlin of Los Lobos and features Jacob Dylan. Later this year, Crystal is slated to play Patsy Cline in the Broadway production of Always Patsy Cline. Joined by Steve Berlin and her band, please welcome Crystal Bowersocks to Livewire. Gone, man. You're really gone. It burns in 
Bauer Socks, ladies and gentlemen, right here on LiveWire. Hey there, Crystal. Hi. Uh, we asked you in the backstage area if it was okay to ask you about American Idol, which you were on. And I changed you, my mind. You said, <laughs> your answer was, am I allowed to swear on the show? <laughs> what does that mean? It was a good time. <laughs> I thought maybe because you, were, you had negative things to say about the experience. No, not at all, actually. It's, it's brought a lot of positivity in my life. It, it brought Mr. Steve Berlin into my life and everybody's standing behind me. Um, these are all the guys who played on my record and I'm so happy to, to have them on board, for sure. Is it true that that thing he's playing is a child's toy never meant to be... That is true. <laughs> instrumented? He can never you, grew Can up. you tell us about that thing for a, a minute? What, what are you playing, and um, what Toys R Us did you steal that from? Uh, the one at South Center outside of Seattle. <laughs> okay. Truly. It's, it, it, literally, it's, a, it's called a midi sax. But it was made to be, you know, for kids who could, you know, not really figure out how to play a regular sax. So, I mean, like, kind of... Uh, you don't even need to blow it. Hold on, I'll show you. It's a very, very low bar to the world of sex. I mean, I could play it. Um, so for, for, you, for you to go through something that's just, I mean, so, puts you so much in the public eye, like American Idol, I mean, uh, was that just totally surreal the entire time? Could you kind of believe it was really happening? Uh, I was a bit combative for a while. I, I mean, I, not only could I not believe it, but I was like, this is not, <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, yeah, it's definitely a strange experience. I don't think it's natural for anyone to go from complete obscurity into the spotlight. You know, I went one day I could have a cup of coffee by myself, and the next, uh, you know, I had, was getting chased out of there. I couldn't do anything um, without somebody recognizing me. So it was, it was interesting, but I'm definitely blessed for all of it. I'm happy it happened. What do you think the trick is for folks who've been on that show? Because some people have had really great success. Other people have had a harder time making it. And, I mean, they're all talented musicians. Everybody who gets on that show and gets into the late rounds, they're really good at singing. Um, if there weren't, I would be in it. Um, but I like to keep my stuff karaoke style, strictly karaoke style. But, so people that are in the show are good, and yet a lot of them have a hard time. What do you think is the difference between the people who make it and the people who don't post-American Idol? Um, I think there's a lot of things that go into play into that. And, I mean... I don't know, according to certain folks, they would say that I haven't been successful. I sold, you know, over 200,000 copies of my first record, but they're like, that's nothing. I mean, that's amazing. I, I'm 
Yeah. yeah. I feel like I've done very well. <laughs> um, thank you. I just, you know, it, it all depends on how you define success and what you're really looking for, what you were trying to walk away from it with. And I got everything that I wanted out of it. I feel like I have, I mean, I'm, I'm making music for a living. That's what I wanted, and, and I'm very happy. Well, congratulations. All right, Crystal Bowersox, thank you so much for coming on Livewire. Turning now to local news as San Diego's beach community is still reeling from yesterday's death of local surfer BJ Mika. We go live down to Channel 7 reporter Krista Bellevue, who is at Shark Pit Beach. Krista. Thank you, Phil. This town here is having a tough time coming to grips after losing one of its best young surfers to a completely random shark attack. Mm -hmm. What are the details you're hearing? It all started yesterday morning when 28-year-old B.J. Mika went for his daily surf at this beach, the Shark Pit. B.J. has surfed this beach every day since he first picked up a board at age four. Now, is the shark pit known for shark sightings? Yes, Phil. Over 50 sharks are normally seen in these waters every day. And to think that yesterday of all days, B.J. faced one. Truly unforeseen circumstances. Yes. In speaking with police, I'm told that BJ often disrespected the sharks, going out of his way to punch, kick, and taunt sharks in the area. Oh, so unlucky. Yes, definitely. I'm told that last week BJ rented a submersible to blatantly hunt down and kill many baby sharks in the ocean for no reason whatsoever. It's just such a shame that now those same sharks, whose children B.J. massacred, may be responsible for his death. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. Do we know what exactly happened? Well, Phil, I'm informed that B.J. arrived here around 7 a.m., where he was told by lifeguards that there was an unusually high presence of angry sharks in the water. Angry sharks. He then proceeded to enter the water and perform a series of unflattering shark impressions. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Krista, did you, did you say shark impressions? Yes, Phil. He exclaimed, look at me, I'm a big dumb shark, I'm so stupid. Uh -huh. And then he flopped about in the water childishly with crossed eyes and wagging tongue to apparently mock the sharks. Such a tragic twist of luck. Yes. And he then grabbed the fin of one of the larger sharks and repeatedly smacked the shark with its own fin, asking irritatingly, why are you hitting yourself? Why are you hitting yourself? And to think it may have been that same shark that could have been his undoing? Eyewitnesses have informed me that BJ also wedgied wet-willied, and urinated on the sharks prior to being attacked. Here's a guy who surfs in shark-infested waters every day of his life and then humiliates the sharks he swims with. Could anyone have predicted this coming? Oh, Phil, that is a question I'm afraid we'll never get an answer to. Who could fathom such an unfortunate surprise attack, Krista? And now, 
This community must come together after this senseless and wildly unexpected tragedy. Back to you, Phil. That's Krista Bellevue live at Shark Pit Beach. Our prayers go out to BJ's family. Turning now to sports, the San Diego Gulls hockey team remains shell-shocked over a head injury to star forward Claude Russo. Boggles the mind how an aggressive and violent sport like hockey could cause anyone such harm. Trisha Ferguson and Sean McGrath. I'm Luke Burbank filling in for Courtney Hommeister, and you're listening to Live Wire Radio, and we thank you. You know, we feel like you haven't always really, like, listened listen to us in the past, and it just really means a lot to us that we feel like you're present for this. Like, you, you're hearing what we're saying, you're taking it in, and you're doing it without any feelings of uh, shame or guilt uh, being sent towards us, which we just, we couldn't thank you enough. And we have much more to come, by the way. Chirpify founder Chris Tiso, author Michael Hansen, and more music from Crystal Bowersocks. We'll be right back. Live Wire. A couple of years ago, our next guest, a guy named Chris Tiso, noticed that companies had set up all these little stores on Facebook, but nobody had yet figured out a way that you could sell stuff on Twitter, which you may have heard is getting sort of popular. So he started his own company. It's called Chirpify, which instead of selling items by linking you away from Twitter, makes it possible to buy and sell things, donate to causes, pay your friend back that five bucks he lent you for that burrito, which, by the way, you should not have eaten all of. Using a simple tweet with your friend's username, the amount, and a Chirpify hashtag. In April of last year, the company secured $1.3 million in financing to expand the new platform and, as the company likes to say, maintain a stocked fridge full of delicious microbrews. So they're taking it very seriously. The service has been taken up by the music industry. Most recently, Tim McGraw used it to help sell out copies of his album, Two Lanes of Freedom, within 24 hours from Chirpify, please welcome Chris Tiso to Livewire. Chris Tiso, welcome to Livewire. Thank you very much for having me, Luke. Okay, so you are what? You're looking at Twitter and Facebook and all these things, and you're thinking, I want to get rich. What hasn't been invented related to Twitter, and you just thought of Chirpify? That's all I did. I, I was sitting at home. Um, no. um, what I realized early on were a lot of brands were selling things in a very centralized fashion on an eBay or Etsy or Craigslist. 
And they would immediately list something for sale, and then they would go to Facebook or Twitter and tweet about those things. And they hoped someone would follow a link away from the social media platform to a traditional e-commerce experience. And I said, well, if you can close that chasm that exists between the social media platform and the e-commerce platform and really combine those into one. I call it the cooling off period. Yes. Between when I want to buy John Tesh live at Red Rocks from iTunes and when I get my credit card out and realize that's a terrible idea. <laughs> yeah, uh, drunken late night purchases. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're all about. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So how does it actually work? Do people have to put at some point their bank account or their yeah. debit information in? Yeah, so when you join Chirpify, you give us your social identity and your wallet. And <laughs> once you give us the keys to that, we're able to make transactions on your behalf. If you're not a member and you see a listing from Adidas on Facebook, and this happens all the time today, and you reply with the word buy, and you're not a member, we have robots out there that are looking for that, and it'll auto-respond to you and say, hey, looks like you're trying to buy this item, come complete your transaction. And after you do that, you never have to come to Chirpify again. You can do it entirely in stream on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And, and also, uh, you can send money to people with this thing, right? Yeah, so a lot of people use this for a peer-to-peer payment. I owe you a beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and you do, by the way. I do, yeah. So anytime you want to collect, I can, I can do that. Um, speaking of which, we thought we'd do a little experiment uh, of, of you sending some money sure. to somebody in the audience. And I couldn't think of anybody more deserving than my little sister, Rachel, who works at a pizza shoals and is basically a poor person in her 20s. She's also here. So can you tweet her some money? Uh, yeah, she is Rachel Burbank. Yep. yep. Okay. Um, I'm going to send you $5 right okay. now. Well, so it sounds a little low. But, um, that's good. I mean, you know, whatever. Startup, $1.3 million. <laughs> Five bucks seems like, you know. I'm just saying, like, whatever you're comfortable with. If it's $5, I mean, that's... Uh, I just sent you $5. All right, okay. So Rachel has $5 waiting for her at Chirpify. Rachel, did you, have you gotten the money yet? Because I'm not letting this guy off the stage. <laughs> <laughs> She's downloading Chirpify. I, I, I believe our robot responded to you, Rachel. So. Do you think, I'm, I'm asking you, I mean, I, I guess I'm sort of asking you to make the case for why stuff like this is uh, maybe not the greatest all the time, but I mean, is there something to us having a little bit of a pause in our life where when we want to buy something, we actually <laughs> we take a minute and think about it as opposed to... Because I really and truly, I buy so many things online now because my, my information is input into PayPal and Amazon and all these places. It makes it so much easier for me, but of course I consume so much more. Yeah, I'd, I'd say um, items that aren't appropriate for our platform are items that really require uh, a lot of thought to make a purchase decision. Um, and in those cases, you're not going to buy something probably with the word buy. Right, like um, a Russian bride or something. This yeah, is so that's a not the service for that. Right, right. right. Okay. You want to you know, at least have some reviews to, yeah, to check out. Yeah, I usually go like on Yelp or something. Yeah. Just, yeah. So yeah, um, our, our, our platform's really appropriate for music. Um, some of the authors that spoke here could sell their ebook, um, and of course, big brands who have tried to monetize social media for six years now, um, they can uh, do that now with the platform. So, how do you think it was that you were kind of one of the first people to think of this? It seems like a real natural. 
I hear that all the time. Everyone says, well, that's pretty obvious. That idea was so obvious. Um, and I, I don't know. I don't know why no one else did it uh, first. Did you go online and search around and go, really? No, oh, I'm the first one, and then do a dance? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it was kind of a natural progression from I had always been tinkering around and creating things on the weekends. Um, and it, it didn't start off... Um, like what it is today. It started off with a very little experiment where people willing to hook up their Twitter account to a PayPal account. And I said, if people are willing to do that, then I probably have a business behind it. So it's really started off very small. Did your friends think that it was some kind of a Nigerian email scam Yes. when it started? <laughs> yes. And, and now Rachel does. Yeah. <laughs> have you gotten the money yet? Okay. She got the money. Yeah. I love that I drove all the way down to Portland to force this guy to give my sister $5. <laughs> <laughs> totally worth it. Also, I mean, all, all, uh, all, <laughs> all giving my sister money aside, you can give to actual charities yes. uh, with this, and it's a really convenient way. And I, I, you know, I know that for so many people, it, we all want to give more money to charity, we all want to be helpful, and yet if there's any hassle involved in the process, a lot of us aren't good at follow-through. Yeah, so we were actually used for the 12-12-12 concert for Sandy Relief. Um, the reply isn't buy. The reply is donate. So it works on all three uh, platforms. If you see a request for a donation, you just reply with the word donate. You just gave money. What's, like, how many people are using this right now? Um, thousands. <laughs> and, and thousands. Of really? People. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of people. Yeah. I'd heard you had tens of subscribers, but that's not true. You have well, thousands. I just gained one more. So. Yeah, you did. Yeah. yeah, you did. All right, well, congratulations on this, and, uh, and, and, and way to go, and thanks for helping support Livewire with Chirpify. Well, thank you very much. It was great to be here and talk about it. And give my sister money. Yeah, you're welcome. Obviously. Chris Tiso from Chirpify, ladies and gentlemen. That was Chris Tiso, the founder of Chirpify. You're listening to Live Wire Radio, and I'm Luke Burbank filling in for Courtney Hameister. Live Wire is brought to you in part by Ergo Depot, who asks you if you've ever sat in the same place for so long your butt fell asleep. Yeah, it happens, people. It's a national epidemic. That is why Ergo Depot's products feature designs that encourage you to sit, stand, balance, and even perch throughout the day which helps posture and circulation, also known as not having your butt fall asleep. That's the medical term for it. More information can be found at ergodepot.com. Dad, this is your five-minute warning, okay? Then it's going to be time to find your shoes and say goodbye to your friends. (sighs) Birthday parties, right? Whose birthday is it anyway? I think it's Violet's dad's 40th. It can be so hard to get them to leave these things once they start playing with their friends. Which one's yours? Uh, The lawyer over there with the tiramisu on his shirt. Dad! Little more in your mouth, buddy, okay? No, do not lick that off, okay? (sighs) How about you? 
Those are my parents rolling on the floor. Oh, they were at Oliver's dad's 45th last weekend, weren't they? Yeah, we had to leave early. My mom's lactose intolerant. <laughs> there was a lot of expensive cheese there. How old's your dad? He's 41. Oh, that's a fun age, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Boy, is, is that your dad climbing on the back of the couch? Unbelievable. We talked about this in the car on the way over. Uh, shouldn't you tell him to get down? You know what? Let him fall. It's the only way he'll learn. Uh, yeah. Whew, he's got a lot of energy, doesn't he? Yeah, never stops moving. Oh, it's exhausting. You know, I think there might be something wrong with him. Oh, it's probably just a phase. Uh, dad? that remote, mister. I said no TV. He is always turning on sports. Yeah, you know, I worry that I let my dad watch too much TV. Oh, the commercials are insidious. My mom is always buying me this My Little Pony stuff. I hate that crap. You know what? She she probably sees the other parents buying it for their kids. Yeah, Peer pressure at this age is really intense. Oh, tell me about it. Oliver's dad starts drinking IPAs, so my dad starts drinking IPAs. Uh-huh. Sally's mom takes Bikram yoga. My mom's all, Bikram yoga changed my life. It's like, come on, think for yourself. Uh-huh. The, the, those aren't your keys, Dad. Get them out of your mouth. And what's with the oral fixation at this age? Hey, Phil, look at this. And your dad just fell off the couch. Okay, wait, wait, just see if he cries. Ah, my tailbone! Ah, <laughs> uh, I should probably go over there. Uh, he looks tired. Yeah, it's bedtime. Oh, I should get my parents home, too. Nice talking to you. Hey, yeah, see you around. Dad! Yeah. Where, where's your shirt? Mom, Dad, five more minutes. Any longer, and that gets subtracted from your real housewife's time. Is it worth it? Oh, yeah, I didn't think so. Now find your socks. I'll be in the car. Oh, stupid. What did you just say to me? Nothing. Andrew Harris, Trisha Ferguson, and Sean McGrath. According to Michael Hansen's website entitled Famous Author Michael Hansen, Michael tells us that it's his inability to have a normal reaction that's the key to the popularity of his strange fiction. He's written five books, including Help, A Bear is Eating Me, A Cannibal's Guide to Ethical Living, and Rampaging of Everything on a Crazy Planet of the Vomit Atmosphere. You can leave most of that in, right? That one won the 2008 Wonderland Book Award. His most recent book is Hooray for Death. Please welcome Michael Hansen to Livewire. Death has a thing for a beautiful yoga-slash-Pilates instructor named Brenda. Death wants to run away with her to the valley below. He wants her to perish poignantly in her prime because she's so hot. Death has never felt quite this way about a woman before. He is also somewhat concerned about his abs. (laughs) 
At the movement studio, death feels stupid in spandex. Warm, flexible women surround him. Steam rises from them like fresh baked bread. <laughs> they open their chakras, they work their cores. But death has no core. Only stiff bones, dusty ligaments, and an ominous cloud of doom. It looms in the far corner, hovering over his street clothes, threatening rain. The women ignore it, and him, and breathe. At the forefront of the room is Brenda, hot. She does the plank, the pigeon, the dead Frenchman, the, <laughs> the laughing cow. She divides her abs into eight separate regions and works each of them in turn. Then again, counterclockwise. Warmly and confidently, she directs the steamy room full of women to spread their legs and uulate. Watching all this, death gets a hernia. Eleven worried women ride with him in the ambulance. Their names are Kimberly, Anna, Michelle, Gwen, Laisha, Shana, Meg, Mary, Donna, Beth, and Kimberly. Laisha strokes his hair. Meg massages his calves. The women are largely single, but none of them are Brenda. At the urgent care center, death gets a chilly reception. He's used to this. Doctors fear him. Nurses loathe him. Hospitals make any excuse to keep him out. Suddenly, there are no beds available in the hernia ward. They have all been taken by identical 99-year-old men named Test. An epidemic of hernias, the receptionist snipes, tapping her keys and scrutinizing her screens. She invites Death to wait forever in a hard plastic chair. Fortunately, Laisha is a registered naturopath, and her apartment is nearby. Under her care, death makes a speedy recovery. One thing leads to another, and soon, Laisha is dying of malignant ennui. <laughs> it's fun at first. Laisha is wise and understanding, the circle of life, the eternity of spirit, and all that. But later, when the ennui spreads to her knees and elbows, she grows moody and despondent. She says his cloud of doom smells mildewy. And even while he holds her hand by her bedside, death continues to dream guiltily of Brenda in her striped stockings and pink headband, perched on her flying carpet in eagle pose, soaring alongside him on the river's sticks. Finally, the day comes when death must row Laisha across the dark waters to the eerie shores beyond. I'll call you, she says. <laughs> they always say they'll call me, he thinks. He waves goodbye to their mutual relief. Death is looking forward to bachelorhood, loneliness, sadness, the microwave oven, but there at the funeral is Brenda, Brenda all over again, hot as the sun in her mourning gear, black leotard, black leg warmers, long black woolen scarf wrapped around her body like a furry, fortunate python. <laughs> Their eyes meet during the eulogy, and they both blush. Afterwards, she approaches, asks about his abs. 
How are they coping? He learns that she has moved to a larger studio, a yoga slash Pilates promotion. They exchange smiles, condolences. Telephone numbers enter the conversation in an innocent way. Brenda's number is full of curvaceous eights and sleek sevens. Death's number is mostly zeros. <laughs> Death walks through the park in wintertime, visits the bony trees, the slimy stones. Brenda's number is warm in his pocket. He takes it out to gaze at it, puts it back, wanders some more. He doesn't call. Death goes home, changes into his evening cloak, checks the voicemail. Various people are in a hurry to die. He microwaves some spanakopita and sits on the couch, inches from the softly blinking telephone. He doesn't call. Why doesn't he call, he wonders, as he wanders through the pet cemetery at 3 a.m., tossing astral snossages to the ghosts of Dachshund's past. <laughs> Is it too soon? Is he afraid? Death knows why women like him. It's the mystique, the danger, and he's tall. <laughs> but a woman like Brenda can see through all that. He wonders what he has to offer besides oblivion and a fancy canoe. <laughs> he wonders if Brenda's immense hotness would singe him, burn away his shroud, reveal the empty dust inside. I think you wonder too much, Brenda tells him, picking at her wild rice and spirulina with a single chopstick. <laughs> Death has called. Death has invited her to dinner. Death has ordered the veal. <laughs> Death is très chic in an all-black Nehru jacket and matching scimitar, but he is eclipsed by Brenda. She radiates like a brush fire with artfully tousled hair and an orange sundress over her exposed muscular shoulders. Tiny wisps of smoke curl fetchingly from her ears. Nearby diners burst into flames. <laughs> Life's too short, she says, to argue with your own happiness. She gazes across the table into the face of death, into the abyss. All you see is all there is, he says. I'm a simple guy. They talk of this, they talk of that. Brenda is a Pisces. Death has been to Venice. Certain films... <laughs> are terrible. Politics means nothing. Yoga is very healthful, as is sex. People generally ought to have lots and lots of sex. Tango lessons are also appealing. As they talk, death feels the outer layers of his eternal nullity boiling away into space, one after the other in discreet poofs, and wonders how much radiation he can withstand. Later that evening, Lots and lots of sex. The sun collapses into a black hole. The earth explodes in flames. The universe heaves and squirts. Everybody alive is killed and reborn. Mountains crash into the sea. Zombies rise up. Outer space turns tungsten white. Volcanoes spew frost. Flowers bloom like fireworks. Explosions explode. Time and space intertwine their limbs and later share a cigarette. How do you want to die? asks Death. Pretty slowly, 
replies Brenda. Death decides he can live with that. That's Michael Hansen. His latest book is Hooray for Death, and you're listening to Livewire Radio. Livewire is brought to you in part by Whole Foods Markets, who are committed to providing you with natural cleaning products that won't burn a hole through your floor like a xenomorph's molecular acid blood that was the alien from the Aliens movies for context. Look, just don't clean your floor with acid. That's really the main takeaway of this whole thing. To that end, they've established the EcoScale rating system to help you easily determine what's in the cleaning products you use. It's a scale from red, which they don't even carry, for terrible, earth-hating products, all the way to green, meaning no phosphates, formaldehydes, chlorine, or anything else that punches Mother Earth right in her face with unearthiness. You can find more information about the EcoScale system at WholeFoodMarkets.com. This is where things are going to get a little awkward, or maybe I should say more awkward. Um, You see, I'm sort of a last-minute fill-in host here, and I was supposed to actually be a guest on this show. (laughs) And the producers, for some mysterious reason, wanted to leave in the segment where I was going to be interviewed. (laughs) Which brings us to the segment we're calling Burbank on Burbank. I want you to know I was doing this years before Clint Eastwood ruined (laughs) the whole thing. Okay, so I've worked in radio for about 15 years, and I've interviewed former presidents, and I've staked out gang shootings in Compton, California, but by far and away the thing that I'm probably most well-known for is conducting one of the worst interviews in music history. It was with an Icelandic band called Sigaros. Uh, and fortunately or unfortunately for all of you, it's on YouTube, and we have it here tonight. So let me just sort of set this up for you. These guys are from uh, Iceland. I'm actually a huge fan of their music, but I was very nervous talking to them before the interview because they seemed a little a little bit quiet, a little taciturn. I had practiced saying their names hundreds and hundreds of times to myself on the subway going to work because I didn't want to mess it up. And I kind of felt like the lead singer was sort of giving me a weird vibe because he wouldn't look me in the eye. Although later I learned he actually has a lazy eye. (laughs) So... There was a certain amount of just confusion on my part going into the interview sort of right away. So let's, uh, let's just roll a little, a little bit of this magic that is me interviewing Sigaros. Sigaros is Jon Bergesen on guitars and vocals, Kjartan Svensson on keyboards, Ori Pal Dersan on drums, and I'm nailing it so far. Bass. How did I do with those names, guys? Oops, pretty good. Yeah? Yeah, fine. Okay. Uh, did you start out playing this kind of music, or did you start out as a more, people might think, regular-sounding band, and then did you kind of go here as you experimented? <laughs> I, don't know, I, think, I think we probably just started out playing like this. 
I mean, what was the first... All right, hold on a second. If we can just pause the tape now. Okay, I'm getting off to a little bit of a slow start with these guys. <laughs> Admittedly. But I'm a professional journalist for National Public Radio. I have a long list of questions. Uh, I feel like I can get through to these guys. So I soldier on. First time that you guys sat down with your instruments and started playing, did you have this thought, we want to create this very specific kind of music? Because the stuff that you make doesn't sound like a lot of other stuff that's out there. Or did you, I mean, did you, did you get to that right away? Yeah. I think we probably did. <laughs> I don't think we, you know, we didn't sit, sit down and, and talk about, oh, we want to play this type of music or something. It just happened naturally. And how do you guys create a song? Create a song. Does one person start playing... I, I later on talked to a rock journalist who explained to me that I was doing everything wrong in this interview, which is fairly apparent, um, because what I was doing was I was just throwing the answers or the questions out there for like anyone to answer, and it turned out no one wanted to answer them. But what she said you got to do is talk to the drummer, because nobody ever talks to the drummer. <laughs> and the drummer is always really excited that someone's paying attention to them. Okay, so I, I, I'm having one of those moments, and I don't know if you've had these in sort of your jobs, where you're like a duck. Above the water, things are relatively calm-looking, but under the waterline, your feet are going totally insane, trying to figure out how to make an openly hostile Icelandic band <laughs> say more than three words. You know, like at your work. Um, let's, 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 let's listen to some more of this travesty. Everyone else starts to kind of add into that. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Did you think you would be the kind of band that sold two million records? I, yeah, I don't think we, you know, we don't really expect anything, so. <laughs> <laughs> what did you guys, I mean, what, obviously, at some point, you decided to get in the same room and start playing music with each other. What was the motive? By the way, I don't know w w why at this point in the interview I've started yeah. more or less whispering to them. <laughs> it's like, I'm just afraid of them. I feel like if I get quieter, somehow they'll just maybe try to answer one of these questions. Yeah, basically it. <laughs> Want to make music. Could you have ever imagined, though, that it would become this sort of big phenomenon that it's become? Uh, I don't know. I mean, like, like I said, uh, I don't think we really expect anything. We're just, we're just playing the music. Anything happens. Always good. Whatever it is. Are you enjoying life as a, as a you know, successful band that gets to tour the world and be a part of fascinating interviews like this? Is it fun? <laughs> Now, now, here's the thing I got to say. So when I pitched this interview in the meeting to the people on the show, what I said was, I, there's one thing about this band that you guys will want to hear about, which is that they sing in a made-up language sometimes, which is called Hopelandic. This is a real thing that they have made up, so I don't know if it's a real thing, but they sometimes sing in imaginary or like made-up words. And I was, admittedly, things are not going great so far in the interview, but I felt like if I could just... If I could just get to the question where I asked him about the Hope Land, the Hope Landish, 
that then he would give me this great answer, the lead singer, and that it would sort of save everything. But I finally got to this moment in the interview where I was going to get to ask the question that was going to turn everything around and sort of save the interview. And I asked him about this language, and his answer was, and I quote, it's And so I have now, I've, this, this has been viewed uh, like a few hundred thousand times online. About a hundred thousand uh, of those are me crying to myself. Uh, drunk, late at night, <laughs> looking at my laptop. Um, and I've gone back over it many times in my mind trying to figure out what happened, how it was that this interview went so wrong. And I definitely bear, I think, the majority of the, uh, of the responsibility for that. But there's also this other thing that I was able to identify in watching it over and over again, which is that uh, th- these guys in Sigur Ross are titanic <laughs> The first and last appearance of Burbank on Burbank on Livewire, ladies and gentlemen... We'll be right back. Welcome back. Now it's time for some Q&A from our audience. Science, pop culture, relationship advice. You got questions, we got answers that may or may not be correct. Okay, the live audience here has written their queries and they've sent them to the stage. Now the questions will be answered enthusiastically with marginally accurate results by our cast and our guests. It's something we call Dear Live Wire. You've got questions. We've got answers. We should totally hook up Dear Live Wire. All right, and our first answerer is Mr. Sean McGrath. Britt writes, if you were in a fist fight with Abraham Lincoln, would you emancipate his proclamation or not? Well, Britt... Um, if you mean kick his ass, I'd say definitely not. 
Abraham Lincoln grew up in Kentucky on the frontier, chopping wood all day and wrestling Indian bears, or is such my understanding. Um, he was remarkably strong. We saw that in the, uh, in the Steven Spielberg movie. And he had a tenacious spirit. I took six weeks of Lady Tai Bo when I was 13. I would not emancipate his proclamation. After that, it's Andrew Harris. John writes, Where did we go wrong? John, 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 John. I don't know, John. Maybe it was how, as roommates, you indicated passively aggressively to me how you really didn't want me to use your jojoba shampoo by standing in my kitchen talking about how much you love your jojoba shampoo and how your mom used to use it in the 70s and how it's really important to you, it's hard to find. And then the one time that I go to use your jojoba shampoo, you've replaced it with bong water, okay? I had to live with that. Okay, and I'd never used your jojoba shampoo before. Okay, or how you'd like roll your R's when you say anything Mexican. Like, hey, you're going to finish that burrito? No. You're Scotch-Irish, okay? Your name is John. All right? Or maybe it's Steely Dan, okay, at 3 o'clock in the morning. Maybe it's Steely Dan, John. Maybe not everyone likes them. So, John, I ask you, where did we go wrong, John? Where did we go right? (laughs) Andrew Harris. And our special guest, Mr. Chris Tiso. Kelly Duncan asks, why do cats hate getting their picture taken when it's all that the internet wants? (laughs) What Kelly doesn't know about photography and cats and photographing cats is that every time a cat gets its image captured, it loses one of its nine lives. Those are great questions, audience, and interesting answers, panel. Thank you for that. Dear Livewire was brought to you by New Belgium Brewing, who present Beer School. So let's just say you're at a fancy party, and somebody orders a Bach. Quick pop quiz. Are they A, badly impersonating a chicken, B, contracting the words Bon Jovi and rocks, Which, by the way, the fact that we've gone this far and someone hasn't done that already is just a travesty, really. Or C, ordering a strong German-style lager beer first brewed in the 14th century. The answer, you might be surprised, is actually C. And coincidentally, this month, New Belgium is featuring their new Hoppy Bach. More information can be found at newbelgiumbrewing.com. This is Livewire. All right, once again, Livewire fans, Crystal Bowersocks.
the hungry, but it's all I've got. Ain't she pretty? This is my favorite spot. Sit alone and wonder if I'm living life or not. That's our show. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Our thanks to our guests, Michael Hansen, Chris Tiso, and Crystal Bowersox. Our house band is Ralph Huntley, Jim Brunberg, and Dave Jorgensen. This show is made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Ergo Depot, and Burgerville. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the Oregon Cultural Trust, and listeners like you fine, fine people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is also produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. Faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister and performers Andrew Harris and Trisha Ferguson. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, Scott Poole, and Ben Coleman. Sound effects and direction by Jason Rouse. Our technical director is Jonathan Newsom with house sound by Graham Nystrom. Stage management by Mark Bauck. The show theme is written by our house band and Courtney Vondrelli. Photography by Jenny Baker. Livewire was created by Kate Sokolov and Robin Tenenbaum. Filling in for Courtney Hommeister, well, that's me, Luke Burbank. For more information about Livewire to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org or find us on iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at LiveWire Radio.
Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.